Hello and welcome to Inside the Squad, a podcast produced by the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Lieutenant Scott Galloway and Specialist Ian O'Shields of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. Our goal is to bring you an interesting, informative, and educational podcast by featuring interviews with officers and other public safety personnel. We hope you enjoy today's episode as we give you an inside look at law enforcement. Welcome. I am Specialist Ian O'Shields with Lafayette Police Department. And this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We have a great episode with three special guests, Nora Ashcraft, Kathy Clark, and Megan Shoup. I hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Special CNO Shields. With me, I have my partner, and maybe for the last time, yep. Lieutenant Scott Galloway. He's going to be a night fighter here soon. Can't wait. Can't wait. Excited. Uh, we'll introduce our guests first. If you ladies would like to go ahead and introduce one by one, we'll start with you, Megan. Sure. My name is Megan Shoup. I'm a nurse with IU Health Arnett Hospital, and I am the SANE program coordinator. Nora Ashcraft. I'm the um, victim advocate here at the Lafayette Police Department, and I also work for the YWCA as the legal advocate. I'm Kathy Clark. I'm the coordinator of the Center of Hope at Franciscan Health Lafayette. Well, thank you, ladies. Would you oh. ladies please tell us what the SANE means? I wanted to introduce you, I'm Patty. Sorry. Oh, hi. And of course, we have Patty Payne, the amazing Patty Payne, and our man, our IT guy, Tom Melville. Okay. Go ahead. What is a SANE nurse? Sorry, I just want to make sure everybody knows who's in the room today. SANE is a sexual assault nurse examiner. And we're moving away from that term, though, right? Yes, we are. So kind of um, on a national level, they're trying to get us to um, recognize our value and our worth, which is we do take care of more than simply sexual assault patients. So it's more appropriate to refer to us as a forensic nurse examiner, which includes the other avenues of our care, including domestic violence, trauma victims, child abuse, elder maltreatment, and sexual assault. All right. And and the whole point, the reason we had you ladies today is because it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, correct? October is Awareness Month, which is which is a good thing because it is very, very prevalent. Um, so saying nurse, uh, Nora, you're amazing. I, I work with you the most, so I know the most about you. But tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, the things that I primarily do is work with the people in the community and in the legal system. I am work with victims um, of crime and um, also from domestic violence issues. And I definitely work with these two ladies in the hospitals. Yeah, I know that uh, you have been awesome. So for those of you listening, whenever we have a domestic domestic violence case on, on the street, as we call on patrol, um, when we need um, that victim to have somebody to, to take care of them after the incident, as far as uh, protective orders or resources, maybe getting out of the house, uh, Nora is my first phone call, and she has answered at every hour of the night and day. Uh, so she does, does a lot of great work that people probably just don't see. So thank you. And you do an awesome job. Thank you. Why, why is October, is there something special about October being the domestic violence awareness month or does it just fall into a calendar? Hey, we need something 
this month needs to do is, this? It has always been that way. As no, no, long no as I've worked thing in the field. Or, Correct. Okay. No anniversary of something. Right. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> well, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month usually, too. Correct. It's also Fire Prevention Month, so there's a lot of things happening in October. Right. Just have to squeeze a lot in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would like to comment as well because Nora is literally invaluable when we have sexual assault patients and her value in coming there again any day of the week, any time of the day is literally fantastic for so many of our victims. And yeah. she's calming too. Uh, Nora's just the aura around her is a calming aura. So I bet your patients and your clients appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Words really can't describe. I know we, we'll move away from this, but you really are a true asset, and I do appreciate it. I know my partners do, too, and the community. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, so I guess to, to start it off, uh, I know that, you know, in the police world, when we think of domestic violence, we just automatically think domestic battery, you know, because that, that's what we deal with. We deal with, is there a crime? Is there a domestic battery? You know, so injury um of whatever of whatever kind right um but domestic violence isn't just about injury physically you know it's the the uh, verbal abuse and, and more right absolutely so if you can kind of elaborate on on that and what that means to you as far as domestic violence and what you see uh, okay i'll go ahead and take sure. that one um basically domestic violence um Oftentimes, it's anything that makes that person feel like there's something wrong going on um, financially, sexually, um, emotionally, physically, obviously. Um, sometimes it's abuse happening to their animal or their children, um, maybe not directly to them, but it's, it's a message to them. So there's so many different ways someone can be in, in a domestic violence situation. Go ahead, ma'am. Yeah. I would just like to comment that uh, the majority of sexual assaults are by an intimate partner or an acquaintance, and the domestic violence sexual assaults that I see are so much more violent than yes. the sexual assault by an acquaintance or oh, okay. someone else. Why, why do you think that is? Just the intimacy of it, knowing, knowing them? and It's the bond. It's the bond between the partners, and there's always a sense of betrayal when one of them is trying to leave the other one. Um, And there's also, we see a lot of it where if somebody stands to lose their housing or uh, their financial means, that makes them way more angry. Um, And they seem to really take it out more on the victim as well. Isn't there a a stat where domestic violence victims don't, call the police or notify somebody within it's like eight times or it, it takes eight times of having been abused before. what's that stat it's seven times before most victims will leave their abuser will leave or call the police because i've heard both ways that's leaving them okay um i don't know that there's an actual statistic as far as when they'll call i thought like uh, i've heard where uh, some training where Domestic violence partners will reach out to a certain amount of people before they call the police. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. So they'll reach out to their their friends or their families before oh, yeah. they even call the police. Oh, yeah. Megan, yeah. So I just recently read something um, about that, and um, they say that it's about five to six times of an exposure of having a conversation about what's going on at home before they really even begin to understand the seriousness of the situation. So is there a way to interject um, more quickly? Would, a, would a, maybe a friend t- 
tell them to call the police or urge them or how do you because you got to stop the cycle definitely part of it i think is education because they don't realize how dangerous the situation really is and that what starts out as controlling their money or where they are can quickly escalate to something physical and violent. So a lot of that is catching people when you can and explaining to them that they are not in a healthy relationship. Um, both hospital screen patients that come through our emergency departments, we're kind of looking for that and intervening. We do a risk assessment if they screen positive, where we actually ask them very specific questions to try to identify those patients. And then we let them know, you scored this, um, and this means you're in severe danger or moderate danger. And sometimes seeing that, they're like, whoa. They just didn't even realize hmm. how bad it was. I also wanted to say that with modern technology, I think that's created a huge problem. People are more confused because especially younger people, if they get a lot of text messages or somebody wants to put a tracking device on their phone or whatever, they think that's love. Um, and they don't think that there's anything really wrong until someone else looks at their phone sees that they've been sent a nude picture or somebody's asking, where are you at? Who are you with? Who are you talking to? Facebooking their friends. You know, all that new technology has really created issues. So, mm. And uh, to expand a little bit about that, especially in the emergency department, we see these women over and over, and we do all those things like Megan said and do our best and educate them and tell them over and over, we, we say Nora can come here and explain that, and it is so rare that any woman actually takes us up on that. Right, because I suppose a lot of it is cyclical, and yes. some women or men have learned that these are how relationships are. So how do we attack that portion of it? How do we educate people that what a healthy relationship is? I mean, where do you get them? Well, our program at the YWCA definitely goes into the school systems um, and the colleges, and they do as much education as they can. Um, and I, I think there's just a lot of resources in the area that work with domestic violence victims, and there's so much um, on the websites, and it's just a matter of that person reaching out and getting contact with the right person. But, but I think there are a lot of people out there that could, could lend them a hand if, if they, you know, reached out. So We can go down tons of rabbit holes on this topic. Uh, one thing is, at what age do you guys start in the schools? I mean, what age are we talking to these children about? I believe some of my um, coworkers have started as early as kindergarten, first grade. Oh, really? Absolutely. Now, yes. as far as like going into the classrooms, or is it like an individual basis, or how does that going, work? Going into the classrooms, yes. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, go ahead. Ian, yes, a lot of this then is, a, is about awareness. Can you talk a little bit about what the policeman's or policewoman's obligation is to report what they see or and how that has an impact? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> when we get called to a domestic violence uh, situation, domestic battery, um, you know, first and foremost, multiple partners show up because we split up we split up the the two parties right that's ideal because like you said there's such that bond and if they're both in the same room and you know they they know they're in there they're not going to tell on them because mm -hmm. i've seen it you know yes uh so we split them up and bottom line is, is we do the investigation uh and if there's signs of injury if there's uh, you know complaint of pain or if we have enough as far as the statute is concerned we shout we have to make an arrest 
we have to and we should, right? Correct. Uh, and it isn't just one-sided either. I mean, if they're both battering each other, there's times where both parties, both sides go to jail. So it's not just one or the other all the time. Uh, sometimes it's both parties. Um, <clears throat> once we, that's kind of the simple version of it. Uh, man, and then you get children into play, which, you know, always tears me up, uh, you know, because they're victims too. 100%, right? Absolutely. And that actually escalates or um, <clears throat> makes the uh, the charge more. So it's usually a misdemeanor as far as domestic battery is concerned. And, but if it's in the presence of a child, if they're 16 years or younger, if they see it or hear it, they don't just have to see it. And, and they may be. It doesn't say that uh, they have to see or hear it. If there's reasonable belief that they could see or hear that crime being committed, uh, then, it's, then it's a level six felony uh, for the perpetrator. Um, so once we take them to jail, uh, then there's a 10 day, no contact order that we fill out. And that gives that, that victim time to, while that subject's in jail to get out of the house, get stuff in line, make that phone call to Nora and other resources so they can get help and get out of that situation. Um, it's just, hopefully they, they do that. Right. I mean, it's very easy for us to talk about. Was that agreed? I mean, it's easy for us to talk about, be like, hey, you do this, 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 and this, and we can get you help, but it just doesn't work that easy. And so, uh, you know, I really think that it is, uh, we rely on friends and family and, and people to, you know, give them encouragement, I guess, and show them that we care and show them, hey, there's resources, and hopefully one day, because they, they need to be willing to help themselves, though, right? I mean, is that agreed? Oh, yes. Because uh, we can't force them to have those resources, so... Education is always good, obviously, but it's to me from what I see as a policeman, it's tough because that love, that bond is just so strong. It's like, how do you break that? And it's different for every situation, you know. So, uh, I mean, what what do you think? I mean, what do you what is the best solution? What is something that's, I guess, consistently worked as far as maybe getting somebody out of that relationship once we get stepped in, you know, step in? I, I would say, and I think these ladies would definitely agree with me, is anyone that we've seen, um, you know, at a sexual assault exam or in my office or at the YWCA, any place, um, if they have family support, they, they really have to have family support. They have to have people saying, you know, um, this is a terrible thing that's happened to you. You didn't deserve this. We're going to do this and this to help you out. Um, you know, and people in their lives, their church, their friends that support them and say, you know, I know you've been in this relationship for 10 years, but we've always been here for you. We're just waiting to for you to say you need our help, and we're here. So, that's so you notice a big difference when they do have – there's more success rate of them getting out of that relationship when they have that support – Oh, yeah, family absolutely. organizations versus because when we go there, we don't really see the support side of it, right? It's just, right. you know, the two individuals are, um, and then, you know, usually one goes to jail or whatever, and then we're kind of moving on, I guess. I hate to say that that way, but, you know, going on to the next call as far as patrol is concerned. So we don't see the the church members and the family members that are stepping in to, in to help. So uh, that's good to know. So, you know, become a part of a church, you know get get involved with other people i mean it's always good to have support systems so and then we got a lot of people here that don't have family members right right um hmm, that's interesting hey, one question i had and ian brought up was mutual combatants i always had struggled with that because somebody has to start that that incident right so what is your opinion on mutual combatants i i know it might <coughs> like in football the person who gets flagged is the person who retaliated 
So what's your opinion on mutual combatants? Do those get prosecuted? Speak to that. I, my experience with mutual combatants has been based on the history of violence between the two. And in many cases, it's because the person that's been abused is tired of being abused and won't take it anymore. They are finally rising up and saying, if you hit me, I'm hitting you back. Um, and so in most of those cases, I believe that's where that's coming from. And I know that's really difficult for police officers because they have no choice but to take them in. Um, and that's why I'm really glad that um, oftentimes I can contact the prosecutor's office if I have a history with this person and say, hey, I know this person from way back. They probably, this was probably what was going on. And, and that's why I think we struggle because you see an injury and they're both arguing in front of each other. So, hey, let's stop, solve this problem. But there's always that backstory that we need to dig out. So that's why I'm appreciative of you doing what you do because uh, I'm sure that that's the case. I'm, I agree with you. And, and I guess we, it should be noted that, again, there's a difference between, you know, domestic violence as a whole and domestic battery and what we're looking at when we show up, right? Sure. So although, yes – I see what you're saying, and, and that makes sense. But we have to we have to make those calls if they're both yeah. battering each other. Because uh, again, there's you know two statutes in the Indiana uh, two Indiana statutes that say we shall make an arrest. We have to make an arrest if we have that probable cause, which is OWI, operate while intoxicated, and domestic battery. And uh, you know when you touch somebody in a rude, insolent, or angry manner, and they're in a relationship, you know, they live together, they have kids together, and if they both have injuries because they're both in each other, they're probably both going to go to jail. Um, and so people need to understand that, you know, they need to understand that. So that's why it's important, you know, if you are being abused and battered, you know, to get out of that relationship because I would, I would hate to see that person that truly is the victim go to jail as well. Right. You know, just because they just don't know how to get out of the relationship. And again, it's easier said than done. But there are resources out there. And towards the end, maybe we'll give some phone numbers and uh, websites, right? Um, or or you, you could fix their – is there a possibility of fixing the relationship? Because you got kids involved. you got finances involved. I mean, is that a possibility too? It's not just getting out but repairing to have a functional relationship. Well, definitely. There's programs in the community. Um, there's character restoration um, where there's a class for the husbands or the, the men in the family and the, the woman in the family. Um, there's definitely um, resources in the area, housing resources, food, financial, you know, depending on what's going on that's, that's causing that kind of um, situation. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is, is there's a difference, as you know, between tension and control. So it depends on where that problem's coming from. Um, obviously, um, sometimes people will go to like the shelter and stay at the shelter for a while for a cooling off period while they're working with maybe DCS or an area counseling program or something. And then they, you know, they will try to put the family back together. Um, and so there, there's a lot of resources in the area um, through Bauer Family, through GC, our HGCF, um, where they try to go in and mentor family members. So there's like I you know like I said before there's a lot going on in the community where we're trying really hard to keep the violence from you know escalating. With that being said, I mean I think we kind of always look at hey get out of the relationship get out of the relationship which is a good thing if they need right. to obviously right? right but we also need to look at hey we need to get this other individual that is aggressive and him help or her help as well right because maybe Absolutely. they're done with that relationship. 
but maybe they have kids together, like uh, Lieutenant Galloway said, or yes. they're probably going to be in another relationship, right? Right. And so we can't just put a Band-Aid, you know, on that situation because they're going to move on probably to another relationship. So are there resources out there? Obviously, there's therapy and whatnot, but do we look at that as well as far as, hey, let's get this aggressive person some help as well? Or is your job just kind of more the victim? Um, no, actually, the prosecutor's office, um, it's almost always part of a sentence, um, is is referring them to a class like character restoration or um, so the Y has a women's class, an empowerment class, and sometimes they're ordered to that. Um, it depends on what, what their situation is, but definitely through their sentencing, the court tries to take care of that as well. And do you think that also if that individual has more support, family, church, whatever, has a more successful, you know, to turn around and not be as aggressive or find other outlets, right? Yes. Well, you know, a lot of times what we're seeing a lot of the problem being is, is the drug use. Um, so if they can get into a program where they can possibly become sober and they have family members that are supportive and will let them, like, stay with them for a while while they're going to classes and recuperating, um, then, you know, there's there's possibilities out there. Um, but without family members or friends, then financially, um, especially daycare for people, that's really difficult. So, again, the support system is, is major in the recovery. Nora, we know that you take care of things year-round and the whole package, basically. Um, I have a question for Kathy and Megan. Do you and your team see... Well, how often do you have to step in at, in your role as SANE nurses? And do your teams see trends throughout the year where there's more activity for you, things, times that you need to step in and help? In speaking at um, Franciscan, I can say that I have not seen where there's trends, like at, you know, different times of the year, months, whatever, So really not any trends, just the same women, you know, coming in and always educating, always being positive and hoping maybe this is the time Mm -hmm. that they will choose um, to either report or for us to um, get them resources to help them leave that situation. But do you see it? I know police officers will tell you when there's a full moon, then uh, things happen. Well, not only only that, but I don't know if... It's, I don't know. How I don't you, believe that. I don't believe the full moon. No? no? <laughs> well, I've been around. Science. I've been around. I think one thing is, is like wintertime comes, it gets cold outside. People are locked in the house, you know, for several months and they really don't have, you know, it's not like they can just go to the park or to leave for a while because the weather. And so they get that cabin fever and then that's when tensions start building up a little more. Uh, but I guess I never really looked at the numbers to see if that's, that's accurate. You Megan, know? what do you think? No, I agree with that completely. And I I think, too, near the holiday season, it kind of seems to peak a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's the stress related to holidays or, you know, being with your in-laws or what really brings that out. But it definitely seems to kind of precipitate it a little bit. Or if they're fighting and being depressed and whatnot because they're not there on the holiday. I mean, I could see there's... Depending on whoever's situation, yeah. So that, and there, I mean that, there could be outside influences as well. If you're having money troubles around the holidays, you can't afford to buy presents for your kids or whatever, absolutely. or you can't afford the heating bill. Our so, numbers actually escalate in the heat. Really? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, people drink beer. Oh, you don't have yeah. air conditioning. Um, the kids are home from school, so financially it's a lot more expensive. So, yeah, that's when we see our numbers escalate. And actually, at the holiday time, we don't have as many people in shelter because they will do anything to keep their family together over the holidays. Really? Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah, those are – I mean – I think, again, we can go down several rabbit holes and, you know, maybe we can do another podcast down the road and kind of hone in on a specific topic. But I guess to maybe wrap it up a little bit, what can the public do? What can friends, family do to, you know, help an individual that they're pretty sure or confident that they're in a domestic violence situation or relationship? I want to hear from all of you. Megan, let's start with you. I think the most important thing is to approach them gently, only because, um, like you said, it seems super simple from where we're sitting, but that person um, most often is in love with this other person, and if they were a mean monster all the time, it would make their decision pretty simple, but that is not the case. There are good times um, that sometimes far outweigh the bad, no matter how bad those bad times are which makes that choice for them very difficult or removing a child from the other parent by leaving that situation. So we need to encourage them to do what's best and what keeps them safe. And maybe that's saving their marriage. Maybe it's leaving the marriage or relationship, whatever the case may be. But it's being respectful of that person's feelings and what they're going through at the time and not trying to push our ideas on them. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. The, the best thing a, a person that has a loved one or a friend who's in a domestic violence situation can do is to say, I heard what he said to you or she said to you or what they did to you, and that's not okay. That isn't what should happen in a normal relationship. I understand right now you may not want to talk about it, but my door's open. 24-7, you can call me. I'll be there for you. Yeah. And real quick, so to touch on that, because I'm sure the question is, is going to be asked is, I know when we go to calls, uh, you know, if the guy goes to jail, I've heard the comment many times, well, the guy always goes to jail. So what have you seen as far as women battering men, being being the aggressor, being that, that uh, violent person? Have you seen that? I mean... Yes. I, I've, I've done a lot of protective orders for men who have been victims. And in... In some of their cases, actually a lot of their cases, the, the female has gone to jail, maybe with them or, you know, on their own. But definitely I've seen women taken to jail. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that I've had cases where the oh, female yeah. was the aggressor. Uh, so the whole point is, is that it's not just one-sided. It, it's, exactly. It's both male, female. And we, and we tend to say she, and, and we don't mean to do that. Oh, yeah. But, I just, right, right. The majority but I'm glad of you the offenders are male. Yes, the majority. Like 80%. Like 80% it's way upper up there. body strength. Yeah. Um, and testosterone. Know, and testosterone, and, you know, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. I just think it's you know important to know that, again, oh, it's it's yes. not one-sided. There are other cases and that if a guy is being battered by uh, a female and in that violent situation, they should seek help as well. Agreed? I mean, right, right. I'm glad you brought that up because anybody listening that's male – I definitely work with males as often as I work with females, so that will not be a hindrance. Kathy? So just like what Megan and Nora said, it's approaching these victims in a non-judgmental way and letting them know that we're here for them and just validating 
everything that they've gone through and how can we help you? How can we be here for you? You know, and then hopefully at some point and one of their many visits, that may be the one that they choose to do that because they, they don't feel threatened by talking with us or coming to see us if we approach them in that manner. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to make sure that it's known that because I read something that was like one in four women. Correct. One in four women experience domestic violence at some time in their lifetime. Yes. Is that, yes. Um, you know, if if they are listening to this and you are a victim or you know somebody that's a victim, you know, we truly are here to help. And, uh, you know, nobody should be battered. Nobody should live in fear. Um, it's just you shouldn't. And so there are resources out there. We want to help you. Uh, we want you to be happy, healthy, and so please make that call. Uh, does I mean, please to Nora, some type of outlet so you can get that ball rolling to get yourself and you know out of that that uh, situation. So, is there anything else you want, ladies, want to add? I just want to say that when I first met the same nurses, I said to them, "You're like advocates in white. They are amazing, amazing asset to our community, and I'm so proud to work with them." Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, thank you, ladies, and to all you other sane nurses, nurses, doctors. We truly appreciate it. Patty, you want to add anything? No, thank you so much for what you do and getting the word out that I, I really think we need to let people know that it needs to stop now for their children's sake as well as their own. Absolutely, 100%. LT? Unsung heroes. Nobody knows. You're not, you're not on the streets. You're not uh, getting you know, recognition you need and deserve. But uh, absolutely, thanks for coming. I hope people listen to this and take something away. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Squad from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe for new ones on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question for the show, you can email it to podcast at lafayette.in.gov or connect with us on Nextdoor, Twitter, and on our website, lafayettepolice.us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Squad.